And welcome to episode number 77 of the Stick to Hockey podcast. Jason Martinez, along with Russ Cohen at Sportsology on Twitter, sportsology.com. Good content on that website. And uh, one of our colleagues, Dave Isaac, joining us now. First and foremost, Dave, let's start with you. Um, sorry to hear about your layoff uh, and, uh, you know, everything going on with the pandemic. Obviously, it makes those kind of things uh, way more prevalent than they should be. But how are you making out? Yeah, not too bad. And I really appreciate that and all the, the kind words that have people have reached out to me with, uh, you know, certainly much more than I was expecting. So uh, glad to hear from everybody. Hope everybody's doing safe these days. And Russ, it is episode number 77. You came up small in episode number 76 and didn't get Subban. Dave Panyota got it. Yeah. Uh, do you have a 77 for episode I, 77? I do. Raymond Bork. There's only one in my mind. Uh, Coffee War 77. Yeah. Coffee Adam was 70. Adam Oates did. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Um, did Adam Oates wear it as a flyer? I think so. I think he did, actually. You know, it. We're going to get into all the stuff in the and the restart committee and everything. But I was watching a game the other day. It was and I watched it on YouTube for some dumb reason. It was the O four um, games. Was it O four? I guess it was O four um, game six against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And Primo was great in that game. But I didn't realize all the other players on that lineup. And that may have been the most forgetful Flyers roster that I can ever remember from Jamnoff. Yeah. And these players, I mean, Michael Hanzus was, was a big-time player on that team. And yeah. Robert Esch was the goalie. Um, it was a great series, seven-game series in the conference final for Tampa before they went on to win in seven against Calgary. But, boy, what a forgetful roster. Yeah, but the series was memorable. Like, that whole year was memorable for me because I went right from that series. I covered um, all four games in Tampa. Uh, I even had the cup pass to me in Tampa because they were like, hey, you've been to enough games and they actually passed the cup to me in the locker room, which was you left uh, it? yeah, which is the only time I've ever done it in my life. It'll probably be the only time it'll ever happen. Uh, but you know that that team that you know the Flyers team took them right to the edge, though they did. Yeah, that was the team that Ken Hitchcock always said he he thought that that was the, his best shot at winning a cup in Philly too. A few yep. people on that roster have said that. Yeah, and, and it was amazing because you know Primo was so good in that series and so clutch, yeah. but. You know who else really showed up for me? And he got the first goal of the game and batted it out of the air. But Gagne yeah. was absolutely incredible at that yeah, point. Yeah, he shined then, yeah. Yeah, such a good player. And, um, you know, Flyers losing seven. And then uh, I actually nobody, I was just going to say, nobody will miss Robert Esch's post games because they weren't very good. No. <laughs> well, um, I watched game six of because it was on uh, NHL Network like a day later after I watched that on YouTube of Calgary and Tampa in Calgary to win the cup. It goes to 33 seconds into double overtime is when uh, um, Tampa, I think it was Marty St. Louis, got the goal, the rebound goal by Kippersoft to, to send them to the finals. And it was just just great stuff, even though I, I don't think the product was great at that time. Do you agree with that, Ross? What wasn't great? You broke up a bit. I didn't think the product of the NHL, like the, the product of play was great in 2004. It, it probably wasn't. And they still were in the um, really well into the fighting era. Like that was the last year that there was a fight in the Stanley Cup with the Ginla and LeCavier. But I have to admit, looking back on that, that really was exciting because you didn't expect to see a fight in the Stanley Cup. Like you just and Not didn't. with those two. And not with those two. And, and, and the Ginla, you know, Known for being much tougher than Lecavier too, so 
Yeah. It was that, was where the, that was where the, the, the clutch and grab era died because then you go into the yes. lockout, you come out with all yep. these changed rules. So I think the, the hockey world would, would agree with you, Jason, that uh, it may not have been the best product because it came yeah, out. Yeah, guys, guys lost jobs literally that offseason. Yeah. The guys who couldn't skate that well, they were just done. Yeah, because right. the game, it opened up so much, especially in the neutral zone with everything. It was pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, but so much news to get into. Um, and, and I've said this on past episodes and I've said this on Flyers Daily as well. Um, I'm really stunned, and I want to, Dave, get your thought on this, at the amount of transparency that Gary Bettman, the league office, the players, the return-to-play committee has kind of given its fans uh, through this entire process. I don't hear nearly the same amount of transparency coming from the NFL, which is still a long way from their season, but just had their draft, but also the NBA and Adam Silver, and even Major League Baseball, which was supposed to start a season the amount of transparency that Gary and and the league office have shown has been amazing to me. And I, I think it's a, a, a major, it's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, they saw that as maybe an opportunity where the hockey is always talked about as, as the fourth out of the four major sports. And, and this is a way to kind of keep them in the conversation while there isn't much of a conversation because everything's uh, paused or halted or canceled or whatever right now. So uh, yeah, like you said, hats off to them for, for being as transparent as they were. And also, I think that when you're in a really rare situation like this, there's also an aspect of kind of testing the public waters. Uh, you know, the, the ideas of uh, playing games in, in North Dakota or in Manchester, New Hampshire, I think part of letting that information get out there is to kind of test and see what the public might think about it, even if it's not something that they seriously considered, uh, which they very well may have. Uh, they, they at least get kind of a, you know, a free testing ground there by letting that information sneak out and, and then kind of see what, uh, what the public thinks about it. Now, obviously, they change direction on that and they need uh, NHL buildings uh, just because of the infrastructure. I mean, even when the Flyers play preseason games up in Allentown, great arena, but they're not in the NHL scoring system. So everything's kind of done by, by pen and pencil and, and paper. And uh, it, it kind of goes off the wayside pretty quickly. So uh, yeah, absolutely. The fact that they were transparent with what they've been thinking, I think, is is great and kind of, as I think you mentioned, Jason, makes the fans feel like, hey, they, they actually care about us. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Russ, real quick, because Dave just mentioned it, like, you know, leaking, kind of, not leaking information, but getting information out there as a trial balloon. That's, those are the exact words that Gary Bettman used when talking about a June draft. And the fact that this has not been squashed yet uh, leads some to believe, even though some general managers and, te- and league or team executives are kind of kicking and screaming, that if Gary wants a June draft, as early as June 5th is one of the dates that's been rumored, and Elliot Friedman has reported on this, um, that Gary's going to get a June draft. Is it appearing more likely, in your opinion, that there's going to be a June draft so the league can grab some headlines before it even returns to play, if it returns to play? I mean, I think that's the smarter move, but I, I I can't tell you it's any closer. I think there's a lot of scuttlebutt with it right now. But I do think if Bettman ties up a lot of the other things and the owners feel better about coming back, they might be more receptive to that. I think they're less receptive to it, some of them, because all the other things are askew. But again, it's so much better for the contracts for, you know, scouts and management that run out on June 30th. What are you going to sign them for an extra two months? Like teams would have to pay that. They're already losing money. They don't want to do that. You also, you know, the one thing Dave brought up about the um, NHL arenas, I also heard the sanitation, the way they do the locker rooms, they're all pretty similar now is a, is a big issue. But, but getting back to the draft, I think 
the only fair way you could do it is for the draft purposes, even if you're going to finish the regular season at some point, but if you do the draft, you roll it back to 68 games, you figure out what the winning percentages are, you go from there, you change the weighting of the draft so it's not the same as it's been in previous years, and you go with it, and you have a good TV event, you probably double your audience, and these kids don't get held in limbo, and I'll give you a good example of a sport that's being held in limbo, and that's baseball, right? So baseball next year are killing like 42 minor league teams. So now this year, they can't even come to an agreement on a draft baseball and the PA because MLB wants to cut their draft to five or 10 rounds. So they just can't even come to an agreement. So like the number one, one of the top picks now has decided I'm just going to college because I have no idea what's going on now with baseball, but not every kid can do that, right? You start doing that with the NHL and you're gonna have a problem with guys that maybe want to stay in college but the team who drafts them says you know we don't like that problem program if you go to the ohl you could play for this coach instead and vice versa and and the other way too by the time you start a draft in october you can't really change a player's trajectory at that point and so that whole year i just feel like this whole year if you do it after june the development of a player this year is already compromised because they only went through three quarters of a season no playoffs no tournaments and now you might be holding them in limbo until the next October. Like, that's not good. So unless you draft a lot of overagers, you're going to see probably some snags in development for some of these players. And a lot of these top picks may just go back then rather than playing in the NHL. If there's a go back to go to, if there's not, then obviously they're going to, some of them are going to get rushed. Yeah. It's, there's so many things to consider the conditions on picks. Do you defer them? Um, there's so many angles of, I, I don't even want to call it decisions, but I call it complications at this point. Um, one of the things, Russ, that we've talked about a lot here is a, about a CBA coming out of the stoppage. Yeah. I know you had a, a conversation and a great article on sportsology.com. Elliot Friedman's reported on this as well. Uh, what is the latest on the league and the players? They, they've done a good job, and I saw this in, in Friedman's 31 Thoughts. They've done a good job not making this a focal point during the pause. Um, and kind of what we were talking about with Dave before, that just getting out information about a return to play. Uh, but the, the most positive byproduct that could come of this pause would be extended labor peace. Yeah, I mean, it really hadn't come out at all until Friedman said something. And you maybe one or two shows ago floated that to me. And I said, that seems too complicated. I doubt it's going to happen. And you were right in a sense, because when I spoke to Kurt Overhart about that system that he had put it laid out, one big thing that people were kind of getting wrong about it, they thought he just did it now as like a trial balloon. He didn't. He wrote it out in January. He was going to shelve it until the next CBA, but he did put it in front of some of his clients and his, some of his clients liked it. And then when he caught wind that they were negotiating, some of his clients went up to him and said, well, you might as well put this out there now because they're talking CBA and you might not get another chance for a while. So he did. So that's when he put it out there because of that. But it was written up in January at, at his office and had just been he had been sitting on it. And so I think it's interesting because at the end of our conversation, he did say that the league and the PA were meeting. And, and because of that and because apparently some teams don't want compliance buyouts, I guess because they don't have anybody to buy out. There's well, like they, don't a, have the, they don't have the money. Well, there's a team like the Leafs. They don't, there's nobody yeah. on their roster that you would get rid of their salary. Like if you in a perfect world, so that doesn't help them. At least with with Overheart's idea, if you want to spend more, you can. And the idea would be, it would be over the life of the contract. It would be a luxury tax. It's different 
than a franchise tag because you're not locking a guy into it. The guy still has to agree to a contract. He doesn't have to do it. And it's also for a marketing purposes too. Kurt thought that there's a good idea like, hey, we don't, we still don't market the way we should compared to like the NBA and the NFL. And that's true. Like nobody can deny that. They market better than they ever did, but it's still not to the close to those leagues. And if you do identify some of those players that way, it is possible people will start thinking differently about them like they do about the NBA. Like, hey, and if that gets mentioned on games and such, like, hey, Austin Matthews is, you know, this exceptional player. Super max. Right. Whatever. If you You call him something, people believe it. And exactly. It does add a little something. And to a team, it makes sense like the Leafs, as an example. You wouldn't necessarily do it to your highest contract. You wouldn't do it to Devaris, I don't think, because he's the older player. I think you would do it with Matthews, and you would just tear up his current contract and give him one now that runs him for more years and and do it that way instead because he's really the future. It's not John Tavares. So I think I think there's a chance for this. Of course, he, you know, Overhart knows that Bettman's going to push back at it. But if there's enough owners that don't want a compliance buyout, they may be willing to do some variation of this. And while they're meeting, they could sort of hammer it out if they want. Yeah, Dave, it's interesting because, you know, the compliance buyout seems much um, less murky to me um, and, and easier to institute because they've had it before. But that being said, if they were to first of all, are you for a compliance buyout? And, and if they are, who, who's a candidate for the Flyers that could be a guy that would be a compliance buyout? Is it is the likely candidate JVR? Oh, I don't know. I haven't put that much thought into what it would look like if it applied to the Flyers because I don't really think it it has much of a chance of happening. Like you said, uh, the, with the, the past month and, and change and however long this is going to go, even if they come back as early as July, there's a lot of money lost there and owners aren't going to be willing to put up much more just to get a, a contract off the books because uh, the, the salary cap might look different than they expected. I think the, the, the course of action that they've been talking about in terms of uh, keeping the, the cap flat and at least not letting it nosedive. Um, that's probably good news for, for all involved, but it's also contingent on them, them coming back and probably playing some of the regular season games, but definitely getting that playoff revenue, which is you know the, the biggest piece of the pie uh, in terms of what's left. There, there's definitely going to have to be some creativity. None of this is ideal, uh, just like plans for the draft and when do you hold it and all that kind right. of stuff. Uh, all of this is is pretty murky in my eyes, but the the fact that the NHL and the PA have uh, created such you know good vibes here, trying to get past this pandemic where they're both on the same side of the situation, uh, I think there's certainly an opportunity for for either a new CBA or an extension of the current one. I will say this: we'll have an idea, Jason, how close we're getting to this June something draft. It doesn't have to be the fifth; it could be like the eighth, whatever, whatever date when. Gary Bettman decides on John Chaika's sentence for testing those players illegally in in Arizona. That's when we'll know because he even said he has to close the door on that first because there's going to be a penalty and obviously going to lose some draft picks, right? I think that's the reason he's saying that. It may not be money now because money has become a big issue in the league, but certainly going to be draft picks and that's going to affect, you know, the Coyotes in this draft. Well, they've got a decided advantage because they skirt the rule right. in this draft, especially. Right. I mean, Chica is like Nostradamus and 
knew that uh, this was the time to, to maybe bring guys in for workouts and go around the system a bit. Well, one of the uh, things I think that, that should change the penalty, though. No, one of the things I think he should do, though, is like anything else, I think he should have to share with the rest of the class. I think he should have to put that info out for everybody to be able to consume now, yeah, for sure. Can we can we validate that the info he's putting out is is accurate, though? <laughs> well, let them... Now he's got them, an agenda. Yeah, true, but, you know. <laughs> uh, maybe we can get Megan Chayka to, to, on the podcast to uh, discuss that. There you um, go. Uh, the, the, another thing that really stuck out is the player, uh, well, the NHL, NHLPA, return to play committee um they put out a statement the other day and you know kind of led some credence to some timeline things and one of the things that i I found very interesting and they put out a a memo to staff or and to players uh regards to players returning to facilities because um there could be some informal skates starting in in about two weeks time may 15th uh towards the end of the month then they want to get a a training camp going uh, sometime in early june uh, return to play July with the remaining 189 regular season games and then into the playoffs, four rounds of best of seven. Um, the league, and I found it really interesting because, you know, we're talking about Gary being transparent, but Gary said, quote, we have a great deal of flexibility in terms of when we can start. There's no magic for next season of starting in October as we traditionally do. If we have to start in November or December, that's something that will be under consideration. And he's talking about prudent and careful judgments. Is Dave, is that more about, um, the ability to get back on the ice with fans that they're willing to go to December? Or is that because, uh, you know, teams that get into the playoffs and go deep into the playoffs are going to need a rest? To me, I think it's more about fans and the the ability to capture gate revenue. Yeah, that's, that's certainly part of it. But I also think that if whatever is going to happen in the short term, uh, whether it be regular season games, however they close out the 1920 season, uh, they have a big opportunity now because the NBC contract is still ongoing and now there's no Olympics. So that's, I think, one of the, the biggest things to him is seeing this big, wide open window in July in terms of TV schedules and saying, here's where we strike. Uh, because, you know, the, the NBA has always kind of been the, the big brother in terms of the winter sports. And now is the NHL's opportunity. That's why they're trying to, I, I think, get out in front of this and and be a little bit more transparent, get more of the headlines, and maybe they have an opportunity to, to get some better TV ratings and all this as well. Yeah. Uh, Russ, do you think it's more about gain, taking that gate revenue, or uh, is it just important for them to have fans back in the building? Because the TV contracts in the NHL, you know, with one coming up after next season as well, aren't the same uh, level of compensation as they are in the NFL, obviously, and, and an NBA. Uh, so gate revenue, and I know that uh, – um, I've heard, who was it, uh, uh, Brian Burke talk about it, that just the gate for a Leaf game, now they're not financially strapped, is $2 million. Right. Um, so it's it's real money per per game of non-fans uh, watch, you know, not, not being able to attend these games. Well, I think it's a combination because I think with the NBA is now saying, hey, we might start our season Christmas. I think people are thinking, hey, that's great marketing, but they're also thinking about, the pandemic when it might come back in December, because that's what every doctor is thinking that it comes back in December. So I think Gary's smart if he says, you know what, we're going to come back, meaning come back at some point in December. But the other thing now that I'm starting to hear, there was one doctor who came out yesterday and said, it's possible by January, they might be able to have a couple million vaccines out there. If that were possible, if they started up in December, and let's say that's when their camp was, 
if everybody gets vaccinated by the first week of January, fans will be back like that. There's no question about that. So I think if you wait just a little longer, if you do an October season, you're almost guaranteed to have some sort of stoppage in December. I think you're better off waiting until sometime in December when you're certain the blowback is either done or not going to happen. And then if vaccines are on the way, then you could bridge the gap from the dreaded preseason to a start of a season and have fans again. And that it means real revenue. And I think ultimately, I think that's where we're at now. If you want to talk about Boobery, you know, Governor DeSantis in Florida is saying by June, you could have some fans back in sports. He's not saying hockey because I don't even know if he knows hockey exists, but he's talking about like the WWE and golf and baseball and whatever. And, you know, he also is another one who said, man, it gets hot. It's 90 degrees thinking like the 90 degree temperature is going to make it safe where, you know, Florida is already a hot spot and it's 90 degrees at some days. So I think some of that is going to play into it, too, because some states feel differently about it than others. And the governors, they can't keep it. What I'm finding out is they can't really keep a team out of their building unless they own a part of it. If they own a part of it, they can. They can shut it down and say, but if a team owns all of it, I don't think they can keep them out of it if they're going to do it with empty stands. So that's that's why I think they're coming out with that other idea of going to some of the cities again and not doing it in a remote area. But I favor the remote area because I don't think travel is a good idea. I think you should eliminate as much travel as you can. Yeah, um, and we're going to get to some of the scenarios of a playoff field. But I'm not talking about the next season. I'm talking about finishing up, you know, this, this season with playoffs. Yeah. yeah. By next I mean, season, you might be all right in January to travel everywhere. Yeah, um, and, and that'll be obviously pending um, some sort of vaccine or, or treatment yes. that's, that's very effective. Um, one of the things, Dave, I, I should have kind of started here, to be honest with you. Um, NASCAR is going to have a race in two weeks from Sunday uh, without fans in Darlington, South Carolina. Uh, we know the PGA is slated to come back in June uh, without fans. Um, first of all, do you believe that the ga- they will finish either this regular season or hand out the cup this year? Yeah, I think so more now than than I did uh, a few weeks ago or certainly at, at the start, whatever it was, March 12th, I think, was the date when they, you know, hit the pause button. Um, yeah, the, the more the more that comes out, the more I believe that, that they'll be uh, willing to do whatever they can to, to finish this season, especially as they talk about moving uh, back the, the start of the 2021 season, because like Russ said, I think that the, not knowing what could happen with the second wave of this thing. Uh, means that they really want to capitalize on what they can do now in the short term to at least get something. Yeah, it, it's really interesting because, um, and I can't, and I can't, I don't know the answer to this question, so I'll get both of your opinion on it. Um, what teams coming out of this will have an advantage? You know, if they finish the regular season and they they complete that 189 games, or they just get everybody to 76 or whatever it is, and then uh, come up with a playoff field. Um, what teams are going to have the advantage coming out of this? Is it more veteran-laden teams? Is it teams with a lot more youth? Like you look at the Leafs and you look at you bring up Matthews and Marner and some of those younger players. Is it uh, teams with a mix? Is it certain teams with very experienced coaching staff? I mean, what is the the formula for success coming out of this? Because invariably there's going to be teams that before this happened were playing great and, and they would have been a legit contender. And now all of a sudden – because this happened, they're either going to fall by the wayside and the, the, the reverse of that. There'll be teams that weren't playing very good, but this situation gave them a reset mentally, physically, whatever, get injuries, players get back. Who's going to have the advantage here as you look across the landscape of the league? I, I think it's the teams that were banged up the most. Colorado had a ton of injuries at the pause. Mm-hmm. 
St. Louis was without Vladimir Tarasenko, but he was close to coming back. I mean, those that would be a huge addition uh, if the Blues were able to start up with Tarasenko. I, I think it's it's uh, take a look at the the injured reserve list on on uh, March twelfth and and what it would look like in July. Uh, I think that's probably the the biggest answer because everybody else is kind of on that even playing field of of coming back after you know however many months uh, or weeks layoff. Uh, I, I think it's the the body count. However much talent you have coming off IR. Uh, that that's the team that's going to win the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. There's a complication with that though, Russ teams that have all these players. With, coming with back. The cap, yeah. yeah. There's a cap thing they were LTIR. Do you get to this playoffs and it's uncapped, but in the meantime, the league's going to have to just waive that because of special. Service. Yeah. I think they're going to waive it. I, I do. Um, I got an email yesterday about Seth Jones who they think will be back. So clearly that's a big plus for Columbus. I think veteran teams though will have an advantage because and I've spoken to a few people about this. I don't think young players have ever been through this before. Veteran players have been through a lockout. So they at least know, hey, last time I was at a lockout, what did I do at home? What did I do to stay in shape? And I can do that. They were able to skate, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless they're Ivan Provorov. Right. right. Well, and that's another that's another veteran move, being able to have your own rink and, and, and just have that work out. I'm sure there's a few others that have kept it under wraps that maybe have been able – to do that as well. But I think, yeah. I do think it's the veteran teams that have the advantage. Cause I think those guys have been through it, but like Dave said, teams that are getting guys back, like, like Seth Jones, like Rantanen, like Steve Stamkos, that's, that's massive. Honestly, I think every team's going to be almost a hundred percent healthy. I think they're going to be healthier now than they were before the pause. That's for sure. So that's, that makes things even harder for a lot of other teams. Your I know she's yeah. deaf. She, she can't help herself. To, to the skating effect, a lot of the Europeans, too, have ice available to them, where most Swedish, people in yeah. North America that, that aren't Ivan Provorov maybe don't have that uh, available to them. So it, maybe if you're overseas and have the ability to be skating all this time, uh, you, you get a little bit of a leg up there, too. Yeah, and some players have actually complained about that because it is a huge advantage. Guys that took off their skates on, on March 11th haven't put them back on since then. And, you know, there's guys in Sweden because they've taken a much different laissez-faire approach to, to you know, kind of shuffling place. And guys have been able to go to rinks and skate. And, you know, fires have a player in that situation in Robert Haig. So maybe he's available to skate. Or not Robert Haig, excuse me. Yeah, it is Haig uh, that's there. So, I mean, there are players that are available uh, in other countries that are skating. I've also heard from a few people uh, from a few rinks saying that um, there's been a who's who of players kind of given a key, if you will. So yeah, yeah, and I'm and I'm I think pretty more sure guys are skating. Just not they're just not making it public. But the other other problem is they have to make a decision soon because there are players that are going to come back from other countries that will go instantly into a 14 day quarantine and won't be able to go to the rink and won't be able to do anything until that 14 days is up. Yeah, it's a good point because, you know, and I saw Fridge put this in 31 Thoughts, is the NHL is doing everything in its power to save the season. He said the unofficial uh, schedules and deadlines are all floating out there. Uh, but on Wednesday, so just two days ago, the NHL sent out a memo indicating it hopes to open training facilities to small group activities in mid to late portion of May. And it said in the memo, quote, in this regard, players and club staff who may currently be sheltering outside of the club's 
home cities should consider whether to plan to return to their club cities, understanding the attendant travel restrictions and self-quarantine measures that may either be imposed by the NHL, NHLPA, or remain applicable in certain jurisdictions. For example, some jurisdictions continue to require a strict 14-day home quarantine following international travel. So if you have a guy like Michael Raffle coming back over from Austria, is he going to have to do another 14-day quarantine before he can head to the team facility? Right. Now, even... Even the Flyers coach now is going to have to maybe go through a 14-day quarantine because he went back home. He went yeah. from, from Florida back to Canada. And so, you know, now somebody like Sean Couturier in a way lucked out that his green card got slowed down because he had to stay here because he didn't have any other option. And so, you know, I, I think there's going to be a lot of those situations. It wouldn't shock me that as we get closer to that season starting up, that there are a few hiccups like that and a few guys get caught up in, in red tape between countries and quarantine and everything. And I think it's all going to play a part of it, but you know what? We'd rather see hockey than not see hockey. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey Dave, um, I want to ask you both this too. Uh, the Flyers have a young goaltender in Carter Hart, 21 years old, mature beyond his years, um, has a pretty, a pretty darn solid season in his second year in the NHL. Um, coming into it, you know, obviously he wanted to keep the season going, keep the momentum that he had built since coming back from that injury where he's playing really well. Uh, does this do anything to, to help or hurt him heading into a playoff in his first NHL playoffs? I don't think any more than any other goalie in the league. You know, I was thinking, I was listening to to you and and Flyers Daily this morning, thinking about, you know, I wonder what Carter Hart's doing right now, because I would imagine he's the type where once he starts hearing rumblings of of the skate zone opening up May 15th, which I, I believe is what's going to happen. That was their, their date anyway. Um, even outside of this new new NHL talk, uh, I wonder if that that makes him try and find other ways of of ramping things up in terms of what would be closest to getting on the ice or doing goalie like movements. I know he, he continued doing yoga and had one on one sessions with his instructor uh, up outside of Edmonton there in Sherwood Park. Uh, I would think now's the time where he's probably trying to ramp up. Uh, whether it's throwing the tennis ball against the wall with his uh, glove and, and blocker or whatever, but doing whatever he can to, to try and get back up there. I don't know that there's, there's anything that uh, would affect him differently than any other goalie in the league. Yeah. Other than to me, Russ, the big thing is, is knowing what's around the corner, what the NHL playoffs are having never been there. That's a big vast unknown for a guy like Carter Hart. Whereas you look at Ben Bishop and he's going, I know what's about to happen. Yeah. I would normally agree with you, and I was thinking that before there was a pause in the season, but I think part of the reason that causes that are fans, the home fans and also the road fans. He's not going to have to deal with any of that. So I think it's going to be easier for him in these playoffs because I think it'll be easier to kind of shut all that out because there's not going to be any screaming. There's not going to be any emotion at the beginning. There's not going to be anything during warmups. That's when usually a guy will get nervous, get the butterflies and all that. I don't think he's going to get the butterflies now because there's nobody to cause the butterflies. Yeah, these guys have played thing in front of no fans though. It, since you know, squirt, they played at the yeah. Quebec Pee Wee tournament in front of more people. <laughs> yeah, than will be in these ranks. Yeah. One of the things that Ron Hextall always brought up with Carter Hart though was this guy's had the weight of Canada on his shoulders before playing in the True. World Juniors, and he did it two years in a row. So uh, that, that's what leads me to believe. Yeah, he's probably not too worried about the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, that, that's the thing, too. And, and and having talked to him on Flyers Daily and corresponded with him a bit um, throughout the pause via text, able to do as religiously during the season. For example, on an off day during the season 
in a light week where he's only got two games in seven days. He may do some of the mental training that he's kind of developed with John Stevenson, who's his performance coach and sports psychologist. Uh, but in the offseason, as he's starting to ramp, he'll do a lot more of the concentration grids and those kind of things. And um, he's definitely uh, starting to ramp that stuff up and hasn't completely gone flatline for a period of time. I've, I've got a bigger question. Bigger question is, as I, you know, keep wearing my Oscar Strong bracelet, we heard that, you know, he's doing really well and he could soon go to the ice. Is it going to be possible that at some point we'll see him return in the playoffs for the Flyers where before we thought there was zero chance? Is there any chance at all? I can't imagine. So he's still got treatments so. left. For how I mean, he's, he's at the end. He's, he's near the end of it. But how, how quickly can you go from, I believe it's still chemotherapy treatments, to, you know, coming back in. I mean, especially with, with a bone cancer. It was one yeah. thing when, you know, Brian Boyle was a completely different form uh, and he was able to to play much closer to, to his treatments. Uh, I, I don't think... He'll still have a few months, though. He'll have, like, over a couple months. I'm just curious. That's why I just throw it out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the other thing with it, too, and I agree with Dave, is just that um, you don't want to put your body right after that into a position of stress, number one. Not, to, not only that, but... Uh, Obviously, during the, that time, it's really hard for him to work out, maintain, you know, muscle strength and all those. He's right. got a lot of a lot of work to do to build that stuff back up to even think about going back on the, an NHL sheet device. But, yeah, he's approaching his final treatments. Uh, I know that Jim McCrossin and Brent Flair spoke about it the other day, um, saying that things have gone very well. And, and they're hoping he can get back on the ice, first live a normal life and and then get back to, to being a hockey player because he's coming into a year or two where he's going to be a restricted free agent how the team right. handles that's going to be really interesting oh, yeah. both him and nolan patrick well that's yeah. the other thing have we heard anything about nolan patrick at all the same story that he's not cleared but they haven't even had to, to get hands on him at this point yeah I, that's why I, I don't worry as much about patrick because what would what would contact look like for him at this point anyway i think that especially having this this period of time between march 11th and whenever they were able to return to the ice um i it wouldn't surprise me at all if if they get ready to go onto the ice that first day of practice and all of a sudden he is cleared for contact, that right. that wouldn't surprise me at all. But I, I gotta say, I'm really happy to see that news about Oscar Lindblom because yeah, the vibes, the vibes that I was getting right after that diagnosis was that his career was in serious, serious jeopardy. Yeah. Um, so for there to still be hope and for Brent Flair to have been quoted uh, as saying that, uh, you know, he, he's, he's going to be part of the organization for a while and he's hoping that he can regain his career pretty soon. That's tremendous news. Very yeah. glad to hear on that. Yeah, absolutely. He's such a, such a good young man. And uh, let's go kind of go to that, too, because the same scout that uh, kind of found him, if you will, and the Flyers selected him in the fifth round way back when, uh, is also responsible for a new signing for the Flyers. Now the fourth since the pause. They signed Carson Torinsky. They signed Wade Allison. They signed Wyatt Wiley. And now they've signed Linus Sandin. Russ, what can you tell us about Sandin? Played in the Swedish League this year. I think he had uh, about 36 points or more than that. Um, maybe Not like much more. Points. Yeah, yeah 17 right. and, and 24 or something like that. I mean, he's, he's a pretty good player. He's certainly not his brother. He, um, Rasmus, who plays for the uh, Leafs, he's not that. But he has good hands, doesn't have the quickest feet. So skating is a little bit of an issue, but he does seem to be able to get to where he wants to go. He's certainly a bottom six guy, but I kind of question if he's really a fourth line guy. So I kind of think he's like a third, third line or bust. And then there's a question whether he'll play center or wing. Most people are thinking wing now. I think that's probably the easiest way for him to break in. He's good defensively. He's smart. So I think there is a chance for him, but I don't think he's a slam dunk. There's a good video out there. People want to see just to get an idea. Um, 
there's a video of him against his brother actually in a rink and and you can see his brother does get the edge most of the times but his brother is a really good defenseman but there's a good brain there with Sandine and I, I do think there's a chance that they might be able to plug him in so is he Tyler Pitlick no I don't think so and and just because Pitlick already knows the job right he knows what to do he knows what it's a little harder when you're having a guy transition to North America and then asking if he could get in the starting lineup but I think there's a chance I do you know it's interesting because um, with these signings, and we, we don't know if what kind of training camp there's even going to be. What kind of off, there's obviously not going to be uh, the off-season development program like there's been in past years uh, for Flyers prospects and the prospect camp that we all go to in July, and we're happy we're inside a cold hockey rink. Yeah, when everybody yeah. else is sweating off their bag outside. Uh, but you know, with the signing of Torinsky and Wade Allison in particular, not necessarily Wyatt Wiley. He needs time in the AHL there's going to be some turnover, whether Pitlick's one of those guys that they don't bring back. Who's got an expiring contract, Nate Thompson, Derek Grant. Uh, there's a lot of these guys. Derek Grant's only played seven games with the team. Uh, but, but Dave, uh, you're going to see a decent amount of turnover here because some of these guys, you know, they sign a contract and they don't just sign it because uh, they were drafted. They could have waited till August and found a better situation. Yeah, and Chuck Fletcher said that that Tanner Lisinski and, and Wade Allison aren't necessarily people that need more seasoning in the AHL. So if you have those two uh, and Linus Sandine, then it gets pretty crowded there really quick. I don't see how all three end up fitting in your top 12, uh, unless you have a, a Scott Lawton or a Michael Roffel on the outside looking in all of a sudden. So uh, and then you also have to wonder, you know, if you're, you're looking at next season for all this, obviously, what about Morgan Frost? If he makes it, then somebody else gets kicked out, too. So right. it's, it's getting really crowded. And I mean, uh, I will... it'll be really interesting to see what happens there. I know Brent Flair said the other day in terms of Sandine that uh, he might be a candidate to, to go to the AHL. But uh, he's another one, like you talked about with the two college guys, where there were potential other opportunities there. The Flyers weren't the only ones interested in Sandine, too. So there may be a little bit of an expectation to... Uh, start in the NHL at least for him there might yeah, be I don't think Al- note. yeah I don't think Allison starts right away because he's missed a lot of college hockey I do think he has to play in the AHL to prove his knee is good I think that's the big thing because he's looked good for stretches but even this year he only played 26 games he hasn't played 36 games in in four years so yeah but that wasn't knee related this well season. this season it wasn't but you still have to see right. when you ramp when he ramps it up again what will happen just to his total body. Like he hasn't been able to stay healthy in any of these years since his first year in college. That'd be my only concern. So I don't know if I'd throw him into the NHL. I wouldn't personally, but I think he has well, the ability. The other, yeah. And, and with both of those guys, Wade Allison and Lisinski, both coming out with man's bodies already too. They, these aren't kids anymore. Right. Uh, so, so they got the size to be able to, and the strength, better, especially Wade Allison is a pretty big kid. Yeah. Um, uh, let me ask you guys this um, as we kind of wrap up here. Are the Flyers a legitimate cup contender when these playoffs starts, giving all the circumstances? Are they one of those teams that I alluded to before that may have an advantage? And the guy I point to for that advantage is Elaine Vigneault and this coaching staff, combined with the, a veteran core um, that seems more willing to uh, want team success than individual accolades at this point because of what's happened over the past eight years and no playoff wins since 2012. Are, are they a team that could – potentially be a cup winning team dave i think the the big contenders are probably in the west so maybe fair to to list them as an eastern conference contender at least um yeah i think that uh, certainly lane venue is not going to hurt he he got that buy-in pretty quick 
in September. So you're kind of asking them to do the same thing again, just because of, of this layoff. But uh, yeah, I, I think that they're, they're certainly one of those teams that, that could be helped by it when you look at their injured list. And uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting thing because there's going to have to be a lot of gelling really quick to whoever makes the, the run and ends up lifting the Stanley Cup in whatever month that ends up being. Um, but I, I can see the Flyers being part of that conversation, but I, I'd still see them as maybe a second tier uh, and, and maybe not the cream of the crop when you look at contenders. What about you, Ross? I agree with that. I think they are second tier. I do think they have a chance, but they have to prove to me they could beat Boston or Tampa and at the very least in the East. I'm not even worried about the West. Those are two big roadblocks right there. You play one of those teams, I'm not sure they're ready to beat those teams yet. But I do think they could win a round or so. Certainly if they're gonna if every team's in it, they could definitely go a couple rounds. I mean, that's you know, if Detroit's gonna actually be in this, um, they yeah, could go a couple that, rounds. That's ridiculous if Detroit I know, but yeah, you can't mockery. ask Detroit to come back. I know we're, even, we're hearing that, seed, you know, people, people say, well, just do like an NCAA tournament and maybe like a 16 seed. Well, 16 seed, the NCAA tournament has earned their way there. Detroit has blown all year long. We don't want to go think? back. Yeah. yeah. We don't want to go back to the late seventies, eighties, where it really was true that at one year, 75% of the teams made the playoffs. And then one year it was 80%. You don't want to go back to that. Cause that joke was no. bad. I never liked it. And I never, and we finally had gotten it down to a reasonable number that made it, I get making, letting a few more, but if, let's say one of the other ones that, that if it does happen, the Spectre one, really Buffalo and Anaheim, what did, did at any point in the last month, did anybody think they had a chance for the playoffs? And the answer would be no. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. I, I hope that that doesn't happen. I know the 24 team field um, that included Chicago and Montreal in each conference, and there's a revenue uh, equation there too, but neither of those teams are under 500. You, know, like you can't be putting under 500 teams in. What is this, the NBA? Montreal had no shot at making it this year, zero. No. I think that's that's one of the effects of them talking about pushing back the start of the 2020-21 the season is that they do want to get the rest of this regular season in and kind of right. have somewhat of a legitimate play. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, not only that, but the the fifteen percent of revenue that they would be missing out with the, that one hundred and eighty nine games left. Um, Dave, you think the Western Conference is stronger than the Eastern Conference for the Cup? I mean, I think the path in the Western Conference is easier for a couple of teams than it is in the East. I think the East is going to grind people up, so the West could win the Cup. But I see the the East as a little bit deeper. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the East is deeper, but I, I look at the the Colorados and the the St. Louis's and. Uh, let's Vegas. see. I've got the old schedule in front of me here. Yeah, Vegas. Certainly, there's there's a, there's a few top dogs there. Dallas isn't quite there. Um, you know, Vancouver was well, pretty excited. Dallas took took that St. Louis team to seven last year, and overtime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but there are some really big dogs there. That's second was, was a lot better last year than he's been this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it'll be interesting uh, to see how it plays out because I think we all three agree that it's going to play out at some point. We it have will. no idea when. And we have no idea exactly what the scenario will be. Uh, but I am all for a triple header starting at noon every day, back to back to back games, and just sitting down here in my home studio and uh, watching hockey nonstop. But, what Jay, I, I, I want to tell you, I got this just for you. This is a laptop skin. I thought of you when I shopped for this. Uh, shut your five hole. That's a laptop skin. I need that it as is. a shirt. No, no, it's a laptop skin. See that's see that's the one good thing about being short. 
your five hole is not nearly as big as a tall guy. I know. But yet I can find a way to give up a goal in the five hole as well as anyone. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, Dave, any beer league hockey in your future now that you're off the beat for a period of time? Uh, free agent, man. Let's, let's do it. Yeah? You have any interested parties? What rink are you near? What barn do you go, would you play out of? So I'm um, I'm up in Glenside, so it's really it's really difficult. There's not a whole lot there. I was going up to Buck's Ice for for open hockey, but there were like three guys that showed up. So Friday afternoons, I would actually drive down to Penn and play at the Class of '23 rink. Um, all those Jordan guys are, yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. there's usually played Chitty there once. Ton it's of people cool. there. It's, yeah, there's a lot of really, people there. Yeah, really neat people, fun to play, and and I love that rink too. So yeah, always fun. I'm going to go downstairs and take a nice four-foot bong hit off my hockey bag because I miss the smell of the sport. And uh, we'll leave everybody with that on episode 77 of the Stick to Hockey podcast. (laughs) Yes. Dave, thanks for doing this. Best of luck in the future. We'll be talking to you. You know that. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Russ, great job. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching, everyone. Episode 77 of the Stick to Hockey podcast. Uh, Stay healthy.